Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to details for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you had a great holiday with your family. We've got a good guest this week, Annie Peterson, longtime sports reporter for the Associated Press. She has covered many Olympics, many World Cups, and just about any major sporting event that you can think of during her career. She's going to join us from Qatar. I wanted a bird's eye view of what's going on there. Someone who's going to give us the straight scoop. So Annie's going to do that. And it's not just what's going on with Budweiser. It's not just ticketing issues. It's the whole political landscape and the backdrop of having the World Cup in Qatar. I think you're going to be super enlightened by this conversation. I know I was. Um, And then even things like, you know, the accommodations. People are getting on flights from Dubai and flying 70 minutes to Qatar for World Cup because there's not enough accommodations in Qatar. You can't take pictures in certain places there in Qatar and you can have your phone confiscated or they'll tell you to delete the pictures. I mean, lots of things going on, but um, Andy Peterson gives us a great inside view from Qatar and the World Cup. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, fascinating stuff because I think in America, you watch it on Fox, it looks great, and everything just looks like it's, you know, perfect, normal, beautiful, everything's working great. She gives you the insight of behind the scenes and on the ground there, which is some great stories. And just like you said, no pictures, and there's a lot of drone activity for security. It's a fascinating interview. So she does a good job covering it. Well, and the other thing is this, like, you know, if Qatar is interested in hosting the Olympics and the IOC talks to them. I don't know how after this you could agree to have the Olympics hosted in Qatar. It's too hot. The political landscape is ripe with minefields everywhere. You look and see what's happened with Budweiser. What's going to happen with Olympic sponsors? Are they going to pay all this money and then not have the ability to showcase their product, sell their product, and they're going to ask for a refund. So I think this Budweiser case study is one for the Olympics as well, and obviously for future World Cups. Um, The rights of athletes. I mean, you know, there's a lot of (laughs) women don't have rights. Um, You know, a lot of other people don't have rights over there. I I just think this was done. This is a one-time thing. In our lifetime, at least. Um, Seth Blatter, who used to be with FIFA, has already said probably not a good idea that we allowed Qatar to host the World Cup. Um, So, you know, it's not just about these, this World Cup. It's about the future. You know, what other events may come to the Middle East, specifically to Qatar. Um, I don't think Qatar is making a great showing for themselves here. And I think there's just too many political and other landmines that you've got to jump through in order to host something of this magnitude there. And the Olympics, Greg's has far more athletes than the world cup does. So that would make it even more complicated. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about all the time with business in these big, huge events, it's about sponsorship dollars and money and recognition and, you know, getting people engaged with their brand. And when you can't drink over there and you can't sell booze and you can't do this and that, everything else, 
it just all that red tape is going to just like sponsors are going to be like, do I want to spend this money? Do I want to send a whole crew over here and do all this advertising and everything? Probably not. So it doesn't look too good for uh, future events over there. All right, let's get to some headlines of the week before we get to the conversation with Annie and really zero in on World Cup. Griggs, a lot of people in the last week were sitting in front of their TVs. We had some record setting audiences. Let's start with that Cowboys Giants game on Thanksgiving. The most watched regular season NFL game ever. 42 million people tuned in to watch that game. So, you know, lots of people watching on Thanksgiving overall, the three games. Um, had a total audience of 138 million, led by that 42 million with the Cowboys and Giants. So a record-setting Thanksgiving for the NFL when it came to TV viewership. Yeah, and you had some great games. I mean, all the teams were pretty, you know, good winning record teams, good battles, uh, conference battles. And I mean, anytime you have Cowboys, Giants, two of the biggest brands in NFL, it's going to be a good one. And you have a captive audience. You have everybody sitting around, families together. We had it on the whole day, you know, just tuning in and watching it. So it's, I think all the games were fun and entertaining and that Cowboys game was really fun. I love the tributes throughout the day to John Madden as well. You know, who loved Thanksgiving football more than John Madden? Nobody. (laughs) And I just love seeing all the tributes that rolled in for him. So kudos to the NFL, kudos to the networks, you know, all three of them showcased him. um, And it was really cool. All right. Continuing with, Big numbers. 17 million viewers tuned in for Michigan's thumping of Ohio State on Fox. That was the most watched, uh, I guess, you know, noon college football game ever on Fox. So, you know, a huge number there for Ohio State and Michigan. We thought it would be. Maybe we didn't think it was going to be that big, but, you know, once again, big, big number. Yeah, it was a fun game. And I think the key for that is when they put it on in that morning slot for West Coast and noon for the East, everybody can watch it. You know, everybody's awake. Everybody's got something to do. I love that morning kickoff for being on the West Coast. Get up, grab the coffee and you got college football and you got two of the top four teams. So I think it was a fun game to watch and I can see why everybody was viewing in. And again, kind of part of that Thanksgiving weekend so they could market it around that and keep the football vibe going. All right, U.S. versus England. A lot of people anticipated that World Cup matchup. It ended in a a scoreless draw, um, but it got 15.3 million viewers. So that was the most watched men's soccer match in the U.S. ever. So, again, another record. If you notice, there's a trend here with the NFL, (laughs) with college football, and now with World Cup viewership in the United States, 15.3 million for U.S. versus England. Yeah, lots of TV watching over the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And it's, it's so fun because you got NFL peaking, you know, getting that playoff push. You got college football coming to a close. And then you got World Cup. I mean, there's so many big, big time events and big type games going on. And that England-USA uh, match was really fun. And hey, props to USA. I mean, they were the underdogs in that to keep it at a 0-0 draw. I'm, I'm t- I'll take that. All right, more soccer. Cristiano Ronaldo will never wear a Manchester United kit again. Manchester United and Ronaldo have parted ways. Um, You know, always lots of money involved when Ronaldo is involved because he's one of the highest paid athletes on the planet. But Griggs, it'll be interesting to see what's next for Ronaldo. And then other news with Manchester United is the Glazer family is exploring putting them on the market. They've said if they sell Manchester United, they want $7.25 billion, <laughs> which would be the most expensive team sale in the history of team sports. So if they're going to sell it, they're going to get a premium for selling it. And $7.25 billion is the premium. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most popular soccer team in the world and always has been or for a long, long time has been. So I see the price tag. However, no, uh, Ronaldo kind of dumbs it down a little bit because he's obviously the highest paid soccer athlete in the world. But uh, yeah, that is some big time money uh, for a big franchise. It'll be interesting to see as the bidders start coming in, what they can gather on that. All right. The other news player related, Messi, Lionel Messi, maybe coming to play for David Beckham's Miami MLS franchise. So uh, 
no terms have been disclosed, but they've said it would be the most amount of money that a player has ever been paid to play in Major League Soccer in the United States. Um, you know, Messi's doing well in the World Cup. He's a legend. We've seen this before with Beckham and others who have come at the end of their career, Wayne Rooney. Um, this would be another chance for American fans to see one of the legends of European soccer. And, you know, that that European soccer legend would come in at a premium and cash in at a very high level. Yeah, I think he is obviously iconic and uh, I, I can guarantee the MLS teams and crews and, uh, you know, owners and all that are salivating at having him in the league because uh, he is must watch TV when he's on. It's uh, it's captive. And yeah, who, who else is Miami going to have? They're going to have to probably, you know, get rid of pretty much everybody to get him in there. But uh, it'd be fun to see him on the uh, U.S. soil for sure. All right. Another headline. This was a shocker. So. Bob Chapik, the CEO of Disney, is out. Bob Iger, the longtime chief executive for Disney, is back in. So uh, Chapik took over for Iger in February of 2020, and Disney has had a rough ride since then. So Chapik out, Bob Iger in. And I mean, Greg, this affects ESPN. It affects sports on uh, ABC. Um, streaming. I mean, there's there's a plethora of things that are impacted by this. You've got the NBA rights coming up uh, in the near future, and you know ABC has been a rights holder for a while of the NBA games. So it's going to be interesting. Bob Iger and Chris Paul are really good friends, by the way. Chris Paul obviously plays for the Suns, but was the president of the Players Association for many years. So you may look at this and go, ah. It just affects the theme parks and, you know, uh, the movies and, and things like that. But this actually has a really big impact on sports. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what does Iger do in the sports realm again with ESPN, with future rights deals like the NBA and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good move for Disney just because he's so well known and has such a history of Disney and what he's done with Disney because moving up to COVID, I mean, there was a lot of things that, you know, Disney was doing well. And I think COVID kind of, you know, took a chop to Disney big time, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think they're rebounding and, and coming back. And like you mentioned, now you've got all the streaming and all these rights coming up. And uh, I think it's uh, a good move to have a guy like Iger back in just because he's, everybody knows him and he's friends with so many people and has done so much with Disney. I think it's a good move. All right. The last headline. This was also kind of a surprise. David Shaw the longtime head football coach at Stanford has parted ways with Stanford effective immediately. He had a 96 and 54 overall record at Stanford, three PAC 12 titles, four time PAC 12 coach of the year, you know, coached Andrew Luck, uh, you know, did a really great job while he was there. It'll be interesting to see if he moves on to something else, maybe the NFL or does he just ride off into the sunset and say, I made my money at Stanford and, um, you know, that's good enough. It's interesting, Griggs, though, because Stanford, you know, it is hard to get athletes into that school. You've got to have a certain GPA, you know, it's easier to recruit at, I'll just say like an Arizona state or an Arizona than it is at Stanford. So, um, you know, there's a disadvantage going into it. You're going to get really smart players, but your pool of players is smaller because they've got to meet that GPA requirement. So it's not an easy place to coach, but I'm sure that's going to be a sought after job for many people. Um, you know, we saw over the weekend, there was a news report that Colorado offered Deion Sanders, the head coaching job. You know, the PAC 12 is doing their media rights deal right now. So if you can get some personalities in your conference like a Deion Sanders and whoever succeeds David Shaw at Stanford, it's going to help because, I mean, let's face it, sports is like a, a TV show. Did you watch the the PK Invitational? Yeah. Um, it was in Portland. I'm not in Portland, but I watched on TV so many empty seats. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. I mean, Duke is playing. North Carolina is playing and they're playing to maybe a quarter of the arena. Maybe. Being <laughs> so my point is 
these sporting events are, it's like a TV show first and foremost. And then, oh, if we get some people in attendance, I guess that's gravy. But, you know, they've got cheap labor in the college athletes and they've got the venue and, you know, they televise it, even if there's hardly anyone in attendance. But I was shocked at how few people were in attendance at those games, especially, uh, you know, the final games on Sunday, like there was nobody there. You don't usually turn on a Duke or a North Carolina game and see that many empty seats. Yeah. And there was some good matchups too. I mean, there was not only just those good teams, but the matchups were solid. I mean, some of those games were, were close and competitive and uh, ones that maybe shouldn't be competitive were pretty competitive. So that was shocking to me too. Some of those were like, is this game even live? It looked like there was like nobody even there and a couple of them, but, uh, yeah, I think Shaw on back on the Shaw thing. I think uh, he's one of the most well-respected coaches out there. From whatever I've yeah. heard, every athlete that's ever interviewed, they say the guy is incredible, a great coach, a great guy. And you see his demeanor on the sideline too. You know he's very calm and he just kind of holds the fort together. So it'll be, be interesting to see who Stanford gets. And, you know, this is just the beginning. We talk about every time the revolving door of coaches that every year there's like the whole new batch that comes in and uh, replaces people. So he won't be the only one, I'm sure, that, uh, you know, is leaving. But uh, I think he'd be good in the NFL and maybe some other college. Who knows? But uh, I think he's a good guy and a good coach overall. Yeah, I think if you're an NFL owner, you're going to put a call into his representation and just, you know, feel out what that could look like. Does he want to go to the NFL? What would that look like? Um, You know. He's got some ties to the NFL, so we'll see. All right, Griggs, Qatar spent $220 billion on World Cup. To put that into perspective, Russia in 2018 spent $12 billion on World Cup. So Qatar is spending more money by a mile than anyone has ever spent on World Cup. What does it look like? We're going to talk to Annie Peterson, who's joining us from Qatar. She's covering many of the World Cup matches, lots of uh, politics in the backdrop of these games taking place. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, You'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. That's insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Annie Peterson. She's a longtime sports reporter for the Associated Press. She's covered the Olympics, World Cups, and just about any major sporting event that you can think of. She's a great follow on Twitter at Annie M. Peterson. Annie, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm very good. I'm in Qatar. It's uh, early in the morning here, and I understand it's late at night there. So the time difference gets some uh, adjusting, too. But it's an interesting city. It's very hot. And uh, there's a lot of soccer going on right now. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to have you on to really get your bird's eye view of what's going on on the ground in Qatar. And let's start with what's your general sense of the event when you landed? So Qatar has spent $220 billion on this. So to give our audience perspective, the the next highest amount of money spent on the World Cup is in 2018. Russia spent $12 billion. So there's a difference between $220 billion and $12 billion. What does $220 billion look like there in Qatar? You know, everything in Qatar is new. The, the whole city is these brand new gleaming skyscrapers, 
there's very little, you know, outward evidence of what was here before the Qatar that we know of today. Mm-hmm. You know, they built these beautiful stadiums and they are gorgeous. They are gorgeous. Um, one of their stadiums is interesting because it was built out of shipping containers. Wow. And after the World Cup, it's going to be dismantled. And so the whole idea was to eliminate the idea of white elephants. Uh, white elephants at, at World Cups are are stadiums that are built specifically for World Cups and that or Olympic Games. And then afterward, they have they serve no purpose. They're empty. They're they're falling apart. Qatar wanted to kind of avoid that situation. And so this the, it was an interesting it was a really interesting uh, arena to go to because like when you went to for example, when you went to the restroom, it was a shipping container. When you oh went and yeah. when you went to pick up, you know, you know, when you went to a concession stand, it was a shipping container. So that was fascinating. The thing about Qatar is, you know, and I, and I'm not criticizing the people who are building this at all because obviously it's the the whole city is built on the backs of migrant workers. Right. Um, but it's all very shiny and new on the surface. And then when you start looking closer, it's like it was hastily constructed. Mm. It wasn't things aren't finished yet, you know, and we don't know if they ever will be, but there will be like a cobblestone path. And there'll be like four bricks missing or, you know, things won't line up correctly. And like marble tiles on walls won't line up correctly. And, it, you know, I, I, I went into a room and shut the door and a piece of metal fell off the wall. Right oh, the wow. You know, so things are it's just interesting. So everything looks really beautiful on the outside. But when you look closer, it's just, you know, it's a facade. That's that's kind of my feeling about, you know, about Qatar or Qatar, depending on how you pronounce it. How many different venues are there for the games? Oh, geez. I'm not sure. I've been to four. Okay. <laughs> I think there are seven. So I don't pay attention to them until I have to be there. Right. I was at the furthest one last night. I covered Iran versus uh, Wales. And I was at the one that's furthest away. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's a beautiful stadium, but it was one of the stadiums that was already here that they just refurbished for the World Cup. But they actually have a local soccer club that plays in the stadium that I was at. You mentioned it's really warm there. I can see on TV the profuse sweating that's taking place. How hot is it there? I mean, is it above 100 degrees? No, it's not above a hundred. It's like in the nineties. Okay. Um, it's it is winter here, which is one of the reasons that they moved the World Cup to November. Normally, uh, the World Cup is obviously a summer event, but here in Qatar, it's way, way too hot to right. have a World Cup. Right. It's just dangerous for the players, and we've seen this at other World Cups. You know, once the temperature eases up, you know gets up high enough it's just it's it's hard to it's hard to play in that and there's water breaks and all kinds of things that have to be rethought to to accommodate the heat but it's in the 90s so it's warm and i I don't know how to explain it but you know when you're outside it feels like it's way brighter and Hmm. sunscreen you need sunscreen like right away otherwise you're gonna burn you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like, you know, a 90 degree day in Portland, Oregon. It feels like the sun is really beating down on you. So that's, there's no scientific kind of evidence for that, but it just feels that way, right? You just like, all of a sudden it's like, okay, my skin is burning. I've got to put sunscreen on. What about ticketing issues? I've read that there's ticketing issues with people who have tickets on their phone and they haven't worked and they've had to refund people their tickets. And it's been a little bit of a nightmare. Have you seen that or observed that? They resolved most of those issues. Okay. But the first couple of days, our hotel 
the AP has us staying in a hotel downtown and the ticketing resolution place was at a convention center nearby and I was taking a run and walked by and there were like hundreds of people in line. Yeah, I saw those pictures. Yeah, this was before Argentina's opener. And so they were all, I mean, it was almost all wall-to-wall Argentina fans trying to figure out what, how to get their tickets. And there were a lot of people who were very, very angry (laughs) because uh, they couldn't get their tickets and they couldn't see Messi. But uh, I think they have resolved most of those issues. Now the issues that they're facing really are kind of political in nature and and have more to do with human rights. So at my match last night, kind of, there were some disturbances outside the stadiums between pro-Iranian hardline government supporters and anti, you know, Iranian, you know, specifically supporters of women and human rights. There are a couple of issues at play. First of all, there's the situation in uh, Iran with the protests that are going on there over Masa Amini's death and the hijab and the compulsory dress code there in, in Iran. But there's also, at the same time, this movement afoot because in Iran, women cannot go to soccer games. You can't buy a ticket and go see a soccer game. Women are not allowed. Wow. And it's been a contentious issue for soccer for, you know, many, many years because Iran, you know, hosts FIFA-sanctioned events. And FIFA, the governing body of soccer, says you have to let everybody in. And Iran's kind of solution to letting everybody in is to let in like 20 women and they're all relatives of, you know, government officials and they're all in full burqas and they're in a roped off section away from the men. And that's how they say, but we are letting women into the stadium and it's all a sham. So Every time there's one of these big events um, where Iran is playing soccer or in the Olympics, Iran used to be really good at volleyball. There's a certain contingent of female fans who travel so that they can see their national team in person for the first time. Many of these women are seeing their team play live for the first time. And so yesterday at the game, last night at the game, there was... There were rumors that Iran had brought hardline government supporters into the World Cup to kind of harass the people, you know, who are fighting for women's rights. That's a rumor. But there were a good, I don't know, I counted like myself, five people who were trying to wear T-shirts that said in three languages, women, life, liberty. And they were taken away. Those T-shirts were taken away by security because they were deemed as political. And those people had to leave and go change or figure out different attire. And that was controversial. I mean, is that a political statement in Iran? Yes. But to the rest of the world, women, life, liberty are just three words, right? So it's controversy that's that's ongoing. And the team, the Iranian team, you know, they have just been dogged by questions about what's going on at home. Just constant. And, you know, they can't talk. They're they're not going to talk about it. This World Cup is important to them. And well, every World Cup is important to every team. But this World Cup in particular is important, you know, to kind of show um, I don't want to say that they want to just show that they're good at soccer. They want to bring their country together because it, everything is so fraught in Iran right now. And that's kind of what their goal is. They want to bring, you know, happiness to the people who are going through a really t- turbulent time back home. But as people watching them play, we want them to say, 
you know, I support the protesters or, you know, we want them to be more definitive in their answers. And they're they're not doing that. And last night, it was really interesting to see the players just they won. They beat Wales two to nothing on two stoppage time goals, which is like every sports writer's complete and total nightmare because it's like rewrite all of a sudden delete, delete, delete. But they were really thoughtful in their answers and wanted to say thank you to the fans who came and cheered for them. And and the coach just said, you know, we just want to bring some joy. And it was fascinating. It's fascinating to watch with in terms of the geopolitical situation. Now, it is just going to get more intense in the next couple of days because the United States plays Iran. Uh, in the next group stage game, right. and it will decide if Iran goes to the knockout round for the first time ever or in the United States advances. And given politically fraught relationship between the two nations, uh, everything is going to be dialed up to 11, really, on, in this game. So uh, I'm writing about Iran today and then uh, going to watch Argentina play Mexico. Mexico is one of my teams here at the World Cup. So um, I get to, I'm writing the Mexico sidebar, but I'm kind of geeked out because I've never seen Messi play ever in person, which is like, I don't know how I got through my entire career without seeing Messi play in person, but here we go. And uh, so I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm going to spend five minutes in the stands going, Holy cow, I'm looking at, I'm watching Messi play. And then I'm going to have to focus on writing about Mexico. So that's funny. I went to uh, England in September and went to my first Premier League match. And it was incredible. And, you know, I saw Arsenal and uh, just the level of play is incredible and how uh, synchronized everyone is. And, you know, everything has a purpose. Every uh, header, every pass, everything is is in concert. Um, so it's really interesting to see it at the highest level. But I imagine when you see a legend of the game like Messi, you know, that's going to be next level. Talk to me about the security there. You know, the Olympics, the World Cup, they spend hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars. I mean, if they're spending $220 billion in Qatar, I'm betting at least a billion is going to security. Um, what does security look like there? Is it kind of you don't notice it or is it a heavy presence and you do notice security everywhere? Oh, it's a heavy presence. Yeah. It's, it's definitely there. Um, above every stadium when you're going in, there are drones um, all over. And they are, there are cameras everywhere. You mm. just, you do not escape surveillance here. Mm. Um, the security forces on the ground are hired by the local organizing committee. They're not hired by FIFA. Okay. So they deal with, you know, security at the stadiums is that because they're local, because they're local Qatari hired folks, they are still guided by local Qatari traditions. So they are there. They weren't letting any rainbow flags. The Wales team has a supporters group called the Rainbow Wall, which is an LGBTQ uh, supporters group. And they wear all the Wales fans wear these bucket hats. That's their tradition. And the Rainbow Wall had rainbow bucket hats made for the trip to Qatar and they were not allowing them into stadiums. Wow. And so the Dutch Federation reached out to FIFA and FIFA said, we are on the ground, you know, we have advised the security forces that they need to allow rainbow flags and rainbow hats and rainbow symbols into the stadiums. But again, it's the local organizing committee that that really hires these the, these security people and that oversees them. And so it's unclear if the message is trickling down to folks at the stadiums. But like 
yesterday they were supposed to be allowed to let some of these symbols in and we we just really didn't see any sign of people trying to bring them in so it was kind of moot the the controversy became over the women and women and men supporters wearing the t-shirts in support of uh allowing women into stadiums and in support of women you know having not having to wear a hijab in in iran so the local security say that any kind of political message is not allowed. So, for example, if you wanted to wear a Make America Great hat into the World Cup, you could not. Sure. But the security forces, you know, how much their, what their interpretation is of any of this stuff just depends on the individual. So in Qatar, you can't just take photos of anything. Often you'll be taking a photo and a security person will come up to you and say, you have to delete that photo. Are you serious? Credit card. Yeah. It's just a thing, right? So I was taking photos of some fans the other day and a security guard says, you need to delete that photo. And I'm like, no, I'm credentialed media. Talk to FIFA. But there are signs in certain areas that you go in the city that say, hey, you're in a fan zone, so you have to consent to your photo being taken. So the fans, so the people, the local people who are here, if they enter that zone, they can consent to the photo. So, but yeah, it's weird. There are like, I've, I've been asked two or three times now, what, what, what was I photographing? What was I videotaping? And um, I need to delete it without even knowing what it was. That's crazy. It's based on the fact that the the Qataris don't like their photos to be taken. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the 7-inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered, too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Let me ask you about accommodations, because I'm also reading that the accommodations in Qatar are so booked that people are making the 70-minute flight to Dubai and flying for the games because there's more accommodations in Dubai. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. (laughs) It's completely true. And they uh, they have these... um, I saw them when I was driving by. I was on a bus going to a stadium. They have these villages that are just basically like portables. And you get a bed and you have a community bathroom in there. I don't even know how expensive they are, but they're these villages set up for fans. And it's just like the minimum. They do have air conditioning, which is a good thing, but they're just like these little rooms and you get a bed and you have 
air conditioning and then you go to the bathroom and then there's concession stands in these villages. And that's where some fans are opting to stay. Um, but yes, there are people flying in and out of the country to go to, to go to Memphis. I, I honestly don't know how filled those villages are. There was one that we drove by and then apparently there's another one out by the airport um, that people are staying in. But uh, I think a lot of people who were who did not plan to get accommodations early enough to come to this event are stuck on flying in. Wow. All right. Another big headline sports business wise is Budweiser paid seventy five <laughs> million dollars to be a part of World Cup. And they're now asking for a refund of forty seven point four million because they're not able to serve their beer basically in the areas where it was agreed upon. I guess the royal family stepped in and said, no, give us more detail on that story. Like, is that a story there? Are you seeing, you know, any Budweiser signage or or anything along those lines? So there is Budweiser signage and it is like, you will see post-game interviews where they have the the um, banners behind the players that have all the sponsors and Budweiser remains there. What happened was outside of every stadium, there was supposed to be a fan zone that was kind of roped off area or fenced off area where fans could buy Budweiser beer. And that was agreed upon with Budweiser, with FIFA, with the local organizing committee, that that's how they would handle that. But beer was never going to be allowed in the stadiums. It was always going to be non-alcoholic beer, unless you're in a luxury box. And if you're in a luxury box, you can get cocktails all game. <laughs> but um, it just depends on how much you want to pay for it. And the story kept shifting, right? So then they said that people were complaining about that because it wasn't good for families in Qatar to see drinking. So they were going to move these kind of like drinking areas or these fan areas to less noticeable places. And then they were going to charge $18 American for a beer. I mean, wow. this is... This- but you know, it's hard to get information here. So you don't know how much of this is like rumors and how right. much of this is. So because the, 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 the local organizing committee doesn't comment about any, right? They just don't. You can email them a million times, but they will not comment on anything. Obviously, the Qatari government doesn't comment on anything. You know, FIFA is doing their best here, but they should have never, you know, in retrospect, probably shouldn't have ever had the World Cup here if Budweiser is one of their main sponsors. But, and that's, you know, that's putting it very mildly. So after that, after they said, okay, we're going to move the fan zones away from the, you know, away to less noticeable area, pay, you know, have these exorbitant prices to limit people getting drunk, right? It's hard to get drunk when beers are 18 bucks a piece. And then they said, okay, no. We're just doing away with it. There, there will not be any beer. And, you know, Qatar is a, they don't, like our hotel is dry. So the Marriott has beers down, down the street. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues have gone to the Marriott. Uh, there are, uh, there are bars kind of in nightclubs that only allow men. Uh, to their drinking establishments and and certainly not local Qatari women. Like you have to produce an ID that proves that you're a tourist to go into some of these uh, places. Um, there are this is like the dark concerts. ages. Right. There are some concerts that are going on here that are like musical, con- you know, kind of like different activations around the mm-hmm. World Cup to... Um, by the Qatari government to say, hey, look, Qatar is great. And those events, there is beer and wine for sale. But again, if you are a Qatari woman and your ID is local, you are not allowed to drink. 
in those venues and they have this small fine print, you know, when you're trying to obtain tickets that say you must provide identification to gain entrance into the event. So the local the local women, if you're a woman who is here and a Qatari citizen, you cannot go to these events. So we are also a couple of uh, buildings away from the building for the for Qatar's Olympic bid. But they, you know, they want to bring the Olympics here. And I would say that after what happened to Budweiser, that perhaps this isn't a good idea. I would I would not recommend that the IOC uh, does this because the story kept shifting. I mean, that was part of the deal, you know, it, at the beginning when the World Cup was awarded to Qatar and they, you know, things started ramping up. It was like everything is going to be just the same for everybody attending the World Cup. You can attend the World Cup and things will be just the same as going to a World Cup in any other country. And then slowly the rules get, you know, kind of shifted. And Budweiser was one of them. And, you know, then they weren't allowing pride flags. You know, all of these things that started shifting away from what was promised in the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote before the event on what women could wear um, and what the dress codes were. And uh, it's interesting because they've been, I haven't heard of anyone being disallowed anywhere because of what they were wearing. Although there are some spaces that you go, if you're wearing a uh, sleeveless top, for example, you get, you get some looks, right? You get some, some kind of angry looks, but they're allowing it. You know, what is going to be interesting is, you know, the the promises made when they do these Olympic bids. And I mean, because it is illegal in Qatar, the homosexuality is illegal. You can't be gay in Qatar. And also, you there's no public displays of affection. You can't, you know, you can't make out with your boyfriend on the street in Qatar because Sex outside of marriage is also illegal. So, it, for example, if you get, if you are a woman and you get raped in Qatar, there's the possibility that you will get charged with a crime for sex outside of marriage. My God. So, yeah. So, uh, and, and in fact, it happened to a woman who was helping organize some World Cup, a Mexican woman excuse me, who was helping uh, organize some World Cup activities um, a couple, like I think two years ago. And uh, she was arrested because she said she was sexually assaulted. And the person who she claimed with, you know, who she said sexually assaulted her said, no, it was consensual. So they charged her with a crime. That's a concerning thing, especially when you have the Olympics and the number of athletes are multifold of what is at a World Cup. Right. And also, you have LGBTQ athletes. There are no out soccer players at the World Cup. There are very few out soccer professional soccer players in the world. There are very, very few. But uh, Olympic athletes, there's lots and lots of out Olympic athletes. And what kind of promises the Qatar government would, would be able to provide those athletes about their safety, about being able to display their pride. Um, if I was the IOC, I would be very, very wary of any promises that are made. Because wow. as, we, as we saw with Budweiser, they're gonna, they might get rolled back. Right. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And then once you right. pay all the money, they're going to go, oh, guess what? We just right. came in, the, in the 11th hour. Yeah. In the 11th hour. You Let know, me ask you this. Um, when I was in England, I was pretty shocked to learn there's no alcohol consumption in the actual seating bowl. So you can have it, you know, in the pub before the, the match or you can have it 
in the concourse area, but you can't go into the seating bowl with it. Is it the same way there? You're not allowed to drink alcohol in the seating bowl or can you drink alcohol in the seating bowl? Oh, no, you can't drink alcohol here at all. Okay. Right. O- only, only, yeah, you said the sweets. Yeah, in the sweets, they're letting you drink. Right. And I think tickets in those sweets are like $19,000. Oh, my God. I'm not 100% sure if that's Qatar money or U.S. money. It, you know, No matter I, how I, you slice it, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, and those are corporate, right? Those are all corporate kind of arrangements and sponsors and other VIPs. But in Qatar, there are some restaurants and bars that are licensed to, to sell alcohol. But in general, at restaurants, there's no alcohol, right? And in our hotel, there's no alcohol. There's no bar. You can't go get a beer after a game. It's just, it's against the law. It's not, not legal. Wow. Public drunkenness is illegal and is a crime here. So if you get drunk and go out on this. After what you've told me in this conversation, I'd be afraid to leave my hotel room for fear of getting arrested for how I dress, any expressions or drinking or, or anything. Um, well, really, you know, I, I don't drink. Right. Like, I don't, I, mean, I don't have any problem with it. It's all, all good. But, you know, you know, I'm, and I'm, I have to be here professionally and representing the AP. And my job is to cover the games and not to make any political statements. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to wear like a rainbow t-shirt. Right. For example, down the street. Before I let you go, like I said at the top of this conversation, you have covered many World Cups, many Olympics, um, you know, the biggest events in the world. What's the media accommodations like there? Would you say it's quality and it's as good as it's been in other events? Or are you running into the same kind of, oh, I just closed this door and something fell apart or we're not getting the access we need. As you said earlier, you know, no one who's running this is really going on the record with anything. So you're kind of, uh, you know, relegated to interviewing the coaches and the players and, and that's about it. But how would you rate the, the media accommodations and access at this event? Well, okay. So um, my room is fabulous. Okay. <laughs> it's it's massive. I have two rooms. I have a uh, kitchen. I have laundry, which is a, like a blessing at one of these events. Oh, yeah. You're there. there for what, a month? Three weeks? You know, I'm only here for the group stage. So, okay. um, and then I'm heading back to the States. But um, I, so I'm only here for um, about 17 days, I think. But usually, like, uh, for like for the women's world cup, I'm usually gone about 35 days. So, um, it's, this is awesome not to have to do my laundry in the sink. <laughs> it's like, this is great. Um, there are rules, all of these events, um, in terms of access. So if you are a rights holder, like Fox at the Olympics, NBC, you get greater access sure. to players and coaches and that kind of thing. We can't, for example, we can't videotape interviews with athletes uh, after the games and then publish them because we don't, we, AP is not a rights holder. So the only place that we can videotape interviews with athletes and coaches are, is at their like hotel out on the street. And oftentimes teams are good about arranging those kind of things. So like, if you want to, if you want to sit down and talk to a Christian Pulisic, it's, it's best to go get him at the team hotel than, uh, than, than at the, and, and videotape that it's best to get him at the team hotel rather than at the game. But uh, I mean, for example, I covered Lewandowski in Mexico in, the first game that I was here, Poland versus Mexico. Guillermo Ochoa, Memo, Memo Ochoa stepped up huge and stopped a Lewandowski penalty kick. 
um, just hit second penalty kick on the international, missed penalty kick on the international stage ever, right? So it was a huge deal. And uh, afterwards, you know, Lewandowski came through the mix zone underneath the stadium after the game and didn't speak in English, said a couple of words in Polish and then kept, you know, and then disappeared. So there's not a lot of it's up to the athletes and the teams that what kind of access they want to give people and what they want to talk to people about. I mean, I guess that's the best way to answer your question. Um, it's just like in the United States, when you go to an NBA game, say I go cover the trailblazers. If for whatever reason, and this never, ever happens, Damian Lillard didn't want to talk to us after the game. He, it's his prerogative. He doesn't have to answer questions, right? So it's the same thing here. Interesting. Anything that I didn't ask you, like observations of uh, something that stands out to you? I mean, we covered a lot and this has been super insightful, so I really appreciate it. You know, I would like to say, having done this mm-hmm. as many years as I've done this, I mean, I think this is my 50th, 35th year with the Associated Press. Wow. So I, I've been around. I've been around. Yeah, I'm old. You're an OD. Yeah, I'm old. But having done this for as long as I've done this, you know, there is this kind of perception that sports writers are like, you know, especially older ones like me are like crusty and like jaded. And it's like, this is, you know, this is the worst World Cup ever. And Back in 1953, we had to walk a mile in the snow to get to the World Cup. It's hard to watch these games and not just fall in love. Yeah. You you watch this sport for as long as I've watched this sport, and I still get chills, right? When I see players, when I see goals you know i i do have to focus on my job and my writing but you know there are some things where i just look up and go oh my god you know and i'm so lucky i am so lucky to do what i do for a living i mean i know that a lot of people would give their right arm to have my job and i try never to lose sight of that that i am seeing I'm seeing mess, right? I get to see messy in person and I try not to lose sight of the fact of how blessed I am in my career to be able to see these. And right, it's sports, right? I get it, but it's a dream come true. What I get to do is a dream come true. And I think that, I think a lot of people look at sports writers and don't think that that's true, but I think that in their hearts, a lot of sports writers are just like me. Now, you, you've you covered the biggest and the best for many, many years, the biggest events. Like I said, you were in San Francisco when Barry Bonds was in his heyday. You have done it at a high level for a long time. Annie Peterson, longtime sports writer for the Associated Press. Follow her on Twitter at Annie M. Peterson. This was so insightful. I really appreciate the perspective from on the ground there in Qatar. Be safe and uh, look forward to seeing you when you return to the States. Thank you. And I I do want to plug APnews.com. That's the Associated Press forward-facing website. And uh, also the AP News app. Please download it, put it on your phone, and uh, you can follow. We have a whole World Cup section there that includes all of our World Cup work. And so it's an awesome, it's an awesome resource if you want to follow what's going on over here. Excellent. Thank you, Annie. Again, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today, we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, 
they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment. Just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season. No waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy, download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio. Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio. C.G. Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.